I brought along again my phone today. I know you guys love my phone and love hearing me talk about my phone, but I wanted to share some issues that I've had with my phone because I know you can relate, especially if you have AT&T. You, you can relate because you might have these things that are called phones, but they just don't work as a phone. They do all this other cool stuff. They just can't make calls or receive calls, and it's just random as to when that happens, but that's just AT&T. Oh, and this is going to be on the Internet. That's great. I'm going to have <laughs> Okay, so... When I got this phone, I had all these really cool features. It, like, I can update Facebook stuff by just pushing a button. It's really cool. And then it provides me a separate contact list vis-a-vis Facebook. So everybody who's a Facebook friend of mine, I have your cell phone in my phone. It's really cool. And then it does email, and it syncs seamlessly with my Outlook. And I remember when I got it, when I would get it out you know, to make a call, the people next to me, ooh, what kind of phone is that? And you know, I don't get that anymore. <laughs> this phone is several years old. I've been without a contract for quite some time. I'm a free agent. Uh, but it's, uh, I don't get those anymore because now the iPhone and all the cool phones have taken over. But I've had all kinds of emotions about this phone. You know, I remember, and I remember, you know, I would hold my head a little higher every time somebody would go, ooh, and I, yes, I have this. Um, but now it's like the cheesy phone, the dad's stupid, and it's just supposed to be a smartphone. And they should have said, called it the cool phone because that would have been better. Um, and, but the funny thing is, I mean, in your, with your phone, don't you have all kinds of emotion associated with your phone? And then some of you do, some of you don't. And then for some of us, especially those, those of us that are younger, we won't single you out, but then it becomes like an extension of your identity, your status, who you are, it defines you. And I mean, you know... It's just a thing, isn't it? It's just an inanimate object, and uh, it's just crazy. And then, okay, on Friday afternoon, I happened to be in the church office, which is a rarity for me on a Friday afternoon, but I'm there, and I'm working late into the afternoon, and I get a phone call from this lady who's checking in on alumni of this uh, program that I completed a number of years ago, and we get to talking, and and we get to talking about church, the church in America, and, and some of the things we're doing here and uh, where the church is going in America, and, and she's getting really excited on the phone. It's kind of funny, and, and the conversation goes along, and then she asks the question. It was, so, it was great. So, so how big is your church? <laughs> and I said, well, I think it's between 100 and 150. You know, I really don't keep track these days. And then there was like a pause, and then, oh. <laughs> I know, Karen. I was like, what do you mean, oh? There's some amazing people here. You were all excited on the phone. What do you mean? And so two sentences later, it was, well, thank you, Mr. Vanderpool, for your time today. Da, 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 click. <laughs> and she, well, in the olden days, it would have bothered me, but I know what's really real now, so it doesn't bother me anymore. And the funny thing is, she's from a Christian organization. She's the, the person she works for is a Jesus follower. And yet she has succumbed to the way the world defines success, which is bigger is better. better. Oh, you live in America too. Yeah, and it's the funniest thing. It is the weirdest thing. What's really true? That's not really true. Bigger is better. That's just an American invention. What's really true? When I die, when you die, success is going to be determined by what's said at our funeral and how many people show up and what God has to say to us on the other side. You know, hi, Max. <laughs> There's a moment right there. Hello, God. Um, you know, that's success. And I live in the same world that you live in, 
It's a world of stuff, clothing, phones, cars, uh, all kinds of things. It's a world of values. You know, that's not how we do business here. Uh, Business values, sports, Hollywood, um, money. And the world is always trying to convince me that success is either my, my job that I have or this certain income level. And that if I have one or the other, I'm successful. And then the, the world is always trying to push me to pursue my own happiness at the expense of other people. Those stinking world. I want to remind you of something that you probably already know if you've been a Jesus follower for a while. And, I, and this morning, uh, for those of you that are longtime Christians, it'll be like, I haven't heard that since a long, like 1976. I want to remind you that the world, the world is not neutral. The world is not benign. According to what we read in the Bible, the world is actually hostile toward God and God's ways. If you brought a Bible, I want you to open it with me to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 2. And again, if you've been a Christian, this is gonna, you're going to go home and you're going to go, man, I haven't heard that since Nixon or whatever. If you're, if you're relatively new to God and the church, this may seem a little strange what we're talking about today. You may go home scratching your head and going, huh? You know, I, I want you to think about it in the days ahead, okay? First uh, John chapter 2, uh, and we're going to be in verses 15, 16, and 17. And again, what I, what I want to argue today is that the world that you and I live in is not neutral. It isn't. It's, it's not something that you can just be laissez-faire about. The world is actually hostile toward God. It's in active rebellion against God and God's ways, and it requires some intentionality on your part and my part. And I know part of you is like, well, wait a minute, Max. I thought, John 3, 16, baby. I thought it was for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I mean, has God forgotten where you and I live? Well, let's get into it. All right, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Stop loving this evil world. Uh, the new way the translation is, do not love this world, nor the things it offers. All right, for when you love the world, you show that you do not have the love of the Father in you. Now, I want to talk about an unpacked world for a minute, okay? There's like five different ways that world is used in the Bible. It's like blue. Oh, you have on a blue shirt. I'm feeling blue. Blue sky, you know, it's blue can mean all kinds of different things, can it? It's a color, it's an emotion, it's all kinds of stuff. Same thing with world and a lot of other worlds. You know this because you studied grammar, right? We haven't studied grammar since the 50s. But, okay, so world, world can mean one, one thing the world can mean is the created universe, okay? The world, the cosmos, the universe, everything that's matter and organic that God made. World can also mean planet Earth, this spinning ball that you and I happen to be on. And it's going around every 24 hours. It makes a rotation. The world can refer to all of humankind. That's what it means in John, the gospel, when it says, for God so loved the world. In other words, God so loved people all people, that he gave his only one and only son. Um, the world can also mean everything that makes up life. That's kind of like when you're younger and you meet somebody and they're the opposite gender and you go like, they rock my world. That's what you mean when you say that, okay? Everything about life. Um, and then there's this last thing that world can mean, and, and that is it's the system of, of people and heavenly beings that are in rebellion against God. The, you could almost call it the anti-God movement. There really is such a thing as the anti-God movement. It's out there. 
um, led by a guy named Satan. He, he appears a number of places in the Bible, okay? And so there's the anti-God movement. And so that's, that's one of the things uh, that you need to understand when, when uh, you read world in the Bible. And in this passage of 1 John, world means that last thing that we just talked about. And so you can actually substitute it. So do not love the anti-God movement or the things the anti-God movement offers you. For when you love the anti-God movement, you don't have the love of the Father in you. Now, doesn't that make a little more sense now? Let's go to the next verse. Um, For the world offers only the lust for physical pleasure, the lust for everything we see, and the pride in our possessions. These are not from the Father. They're from the evil world. Now, just by way, this is a theological test that all of you can pass and get an A on today. This is awesome. This phone, is it good or evil? Neither. It's an inanimate object. It's a tool. Um, If I had money in my pocketbook, I would pull out money, okay? (laughs) Money. Isn't that weird, though? Uh, If somebody has a lot of money and they're stingy with it, all of a sudden, you know, money corrupts and it's a bad, evil thing. But then if you run into somebody and they're like really generous and whatnot, all of a sudden money's a good thing and it's good to have lots of money. It's weird, but money isn't good or evil, is it? It's just a tool. Clothing, clothing is just a tool. But, you know, again, if you're going to the store and you're buying certain kinds of clothes because you want to fish hook people in... That could mean one thing. Or if clothing's just clothing, it could mean something else. So these are just inanimate objects. But John outlines several things, kind of a layer of things in this uh, verse about the world. And the first thing he says is the world only offers the lust of physical pleasures. And I know, for those of us that are grown up and experienced, you want to think sex, but it's more than just sex. Um, the Greek word used there for physical pleasure is sarks, and it means more than just sex. Um, and, and John's wanting us, warning us here about the world and the way the world works and the anti-God movement. And he's saying, you know what? In your life, there's the potential for you to substitute physical pleasure for God. There's the, there's the opportunity and the choice that you could make where you're looking for some physical stimulation other than God to get you the satisfaction that you want to get out of life. I can attest to that. Some of you can too, in the sense that there have been moments in my life where it has been briars. <laughs> I know, I see you thinking I was going to say something else, but no. <laughs> briars, briars ice cream. You're sad, you're depressed, you just got laid off, and what do you do? It's a wonkin' big bowl of briars, me and briars. <laughs> we'll solve that. Enough chocolate will solve the world's problems, or at least so we think, okay? And it doesn't, because then you're just bloated afterwards. It's bad, okay? So. All right, turning to anything other than God, it, it's like a counterfeit thing. It's a world thing, and the world thing doesn't satisfy. It leads you down a, a, another road. And then there's the next phrase, a craving for everything we see. Um, and boy, that's like America today. I mean, our country is, is predicated upon consumption, and, and part of our cultural experience for you and me is that there's stuff that we can see all the time. It's in ads. It's in the clicking ads on Facebook. It's on the Internet. It's on TV. It's in the stores. I mean, trust me, those end caps are there for a reason. <laughs> okay? And, and, you know, it's like, ooh, ooh. And, I, I, you know, I get there. I'm, I walk down that same road. Ooh, ooh. And, again, it's, it's a counterfeit kind of a thing. Um, 
In the next phrase, uh, for the world, a craving for what we see and a pride in our achievements and possessions. Uh, For some of us in America, it's the whole idea of we're confident in what we have. We're confident in what we've achieved or where we are in life. And and we accumulate enough or work hard enough and we feel like, you know, we've made it. And that's where our security is. That's where our, you know, resting is. And again, it's kind of a counterfeit thing. Um, Affluence and success isn't evil, uh, but John's wanting us to see that the world, the anti-God movement stuff, can actually steal away our hearts. When we turn to food consistently instead of God, our heart's growing distant from God. When, when we think that the, the latest, greatest thing that we see in the mall is somehow going to get us that happiness or help us over the hump instead of God... It's, it's turning our heart away from God. And John's being very stark. I understand that. He's painting this as an either-or. I mean, it's almost like he's prophetic right here in this passage. But let's, let's get at why this is important, and that's in verse 17. This is what he says. And this world, this world, this anti-God movement that's afoot is fading away. Along with everything it craves, it's fading away. But if you do the will of God... You'll live forever. There's the kicker. And this is why it's important for you and me to have our hearts vested in God and not in this world and to be a little bit more savvy about the world. Um, This world's passing away. Detroit is a case in point for me uh, about how quickly things can change, right? In 1950, Detroit was a city of 1.9 million people. It's just, right? Today, it's a city of 900,000. I mean, if you go online and Google, you will actually just Google something like ruins of Detroit. It's now part of the tourist destination. You can go tour the, just like the ruins of Rome, you can go tour the ruins of Detroit, Michigan. And big abandoned buildings that were built with the opulence and wealth of the 50s and 60s when car was king in America. And it's one of the most amazing things. And in just 50 years' time, It went from opulence and a position where it told Congress what to do. I mean, seatbelts were delayed because of what Detroit wanted. Remember, you know, if if you're old enough, you can remember it was in the papers. This will be bad for Detroit. And so if it was bad for Detroit, we assumed it was bad for America. And, And here, a position where it would tell Congress and the American leadership what to do to where it's literally begging for its existence in a handout and just in a generation. And is there anything evil about Detroit? No, I, you know, I drive a Mercury, okay? <laughs> but I say that to say what seems like it's going to last forever often doesn't. And in fact, what John wants us to know is that it's not. The anti-God movement that's afoot in the world is actually passing away. And what John is trying to say to you and me is it's, it's not going anywhere, and it's not going to take you anywhere. All right, let's bring this to a practical level for a moment. If you're younger, if you're 16, 18, even 25, here's what I want you to get about where you live and and your stage of life, and that's this. You're being taught things, you're being told things by the anti-God movement that simply aren't true. And, And a lot of what you're being told and taught is actually openly hostile to God and his ways. Um... Uh, give you an example here. There's a, there's a thought that's widely embraced, which is you can't impose your beliefs 
or your morals on someone else. And, and so we'll, we'll have a standoffish, standoffish thing about that. And I'm not talking about the culture wars. I'm just talking about that as an idea. But we do that all the time, don't we? Because we say it's not cool to murder someone. So there are, there are ideas and things afoot. Um, and, and there are other ideas, which is, you know, uh, go ahead and borrow, go ahead and borrow, go ahead and get what you can now because there may not be some later. You know, that flies in the face of everything that you read in the book of Proverbs. So again, if you're younger, not everything that you're hearing culturally and from the anti-God movement is stuff that's going to get you where you want to go. And if you're a parent, here's the, the, here's the killer thing. If you're a parent, if you've got a son or a daughter, listen, man, if you're not actively shaping their heart and their character and their mind, I guarantee the world is. The anti-God movement is. And, and, and it's putting in time and ideas and ways of thinking that, that may or may not correspond with what we find in this book. John, in, in, in this passage, he makes it very stark. And he's like, look, it's either love the Father or love the world. It's either or. And you might write him off as a crank or being crazy, but I don't think so. In 1999, there was a study uh, done by a sociologist. And, and the study was... What are the discernible differences in attitudes, lifestyles, and behaviors between Christians and non-Christians in the United States? I know some of you have heard this before, right? What they concluded was that there was no discernible difference in terms of work habits, money habits, lifestyle and TV viewing habits. The one statistically meaningful difference between Christians and non-Christians in America in 1999 was that Christians were fundamentally opposed to the use of the F word in public venues like TV and sporting events and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, that was, the one, that was the one thing. And so you guys are smart. Shouldn't there be more of a difference? Wait a minute. Shouldn't there be more of a difference? I want to know that you're convinced of this. Shouldn't there be more of a difference? Yes, there should. Jesus turned the world upside down. Of course there should. And so in the, in the days ahead, I just want you to, I want to remind you of something you probably already know. And that is this, the world isn't neutral. You got to engage your brain. You got to engage your heart. You got to be sorting things out with God because what the world's throwing at you, the anti-God movement is throwing at you may not be taking you down a road that you want to go.